you would, uh, open with me to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5. We had uh, started looking at the uh, relationships described there in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and had uh, come down in that section to uh, the discussion concerning the uh, younger uh, widows, or uh, rather the ones with family, and uh, we're ready to uh, continue with that discussion this morning. And just uh, as a reminder, uh, we had started looking at First Timothy chapter 5 uh, under the heading, uh, Pure Relations uh, in the Church. And we see three different groups of relationships that uh, the Apostle Paul um, describes there in, in 1 Timothy chapter 5. The first one we, we already looked at is uh, the family relations in the church, the, the family of God, and how that uh, relationship with, with our uh, brethren in the church is described in a family setting. Uh, older women as mothers, older, fa- uh, older men as fathers, younger women as sisters, younger uh, 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 men as, as brothers, and, and how it's described as a uh, family relationship because the church is the uh, household of God, the pillar and ground of the uh, truth, 1 Timothy 3. 15. It is a family. It is a household. And so, moving on from that to the next section, Paul talks about our relationship with those in need. And in this uh, discussion of the relationship with those in need, uh, you have the, the widow uh, set forth as... Uh, an example of, of how to relate to those in need. And as we look through the Bible, uh, again, just uh, for uh, reasons of uh, review, uh, as we look through the Bible, we see uh, widows and, and orphans uh, as a group put forth as an example of those who are uh, destitute, those who are without uh, the ability to take care of themselves. And so God's people in the Old Testament, of course, Israel was instructed to care for the fatherless and the widow. Uh, in, in the New Testament, the church is instructed to care for the uh, fatherless and the widow, uh, representing those who are, are destitute, those who have no way of taking care of themselves. Now that doesn't mean that if somebody comes and is in need of help, uh, but they're not a widow and they're not an orphan, that then we're supposed to say, well, sorry, can't help you. No, that they are uh, put forth, if you will, in representation of those who are unable to care for themselves. Uh, the the uh, fatherless uh, children, the, the uh, orphans, had no ability to care for themselves, so they needed someone to step in to take care of them. Uh, widows, especially in... Uh, the the uh, cultural setting that this was writ- written in, uh, where women relied on their husband as the provider of the family. Widows very often had no way of uh, providing for themselves. And so the church was instructed to, to, to help them. 
And then the last category of relationships there is those in authority, where he, he speaks specifically of uh, elders in the church. And so we are in that section talking about our relationship to those in need. We had looked at uh, those who are really widows in verses uh, 3 and 5, in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and uh, 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 chapter 5 rather and verse 3 and chapter 5 and verse 5 where he talks about those who are really widows. And it's interesting the way he, he puts that. Uh, in some translations it's widows indeed. That is uh, widows who are truly on their own. They don't have anybody to take care of them. Because in the next section and where we left off last week uh, going on to talk about widows with family. Now he contrasts Widows indeed that don't have anybody, no family, no husband, no one to take care of them to uh, widows with family. And, and we had uh, looked at those passages concerning the widows with family where the Apostle Paul says that these widows with family, the first responsibility of care for that woman falls to the family. And again, uh, I believe that there's a broader application here as, as we see and as uh, we look down through here, we'll make some application uh, of that to, to benevolence in general, to the benevolence of the church in a general way, that there, there's a principle here that says that the first responsibility of care falls to the family. And I believe it, it is a broader application than just these uh, widows that have family. Because the, the family is supposed to step in and take care of that person. Well, if it's a uh, niece or a nephew that has lost their mother and father, for example, uh, then, then before that, that child becomes a uh, ward of the church, if you will, or the responsibility of the church to take care of, there's family there that should step in to take care of that child. And so there's a broader application than just the widow. There's also the uh, 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 fatherless as they are grouped together. But, but what about those... Uh, who, who come to the church asking for help that have family that could step in to help them. Well, isn't that the principle here? That, that the first responsibility of care is the family? And you know, sometimes uh, I, I am an, an advocate, <laughs> if you will, of uh, people being questioned when they come to ask for help. Now, the church is supposed to engage in benevolence. That's part of the work of the church's benevolence, to help those who are in need. But isn't there a principle set here that that need has to be established? Because unfortunately, there are many out there who make a practice off of living off of the kindness of others, off of the generosity of others. And they just go from place to place to place and ask for what they can get. And, you know. Sadly, most places, the person, all they have to do to get something is to come through the door and to say, uh, I need help with you know, gas in the car, or I need help with you know, this utility bill, or I need help with you know, whatever. It's almost never food and clothes, which is what the Bible says we, we are supposed to help people with, food and clothes. It's almost never that. Well, and that's in large part because the government has... Uh, taking that on themselves. The, the, you know, we, we have a very uh, active welfare state in this country that people rely on the government for their food. 
And, and uh, so they don't typically come to the church for that. They come to the church for things that uh, uh, the church isn't really ever instructed to, to uh, help people with. But they come in and their, their expectation is that all, the, all they have to do is say, I, I need gas in the car. And you know, usually there's some kind of story that goes along with that. I'm on my way, you know, passing through to my mother's surgery in Texas or whatever. And you go out and you look at their, and I do, go out and look at the plate on their car and it's Troop County license plate. Well, you know, how, well, something, something's not adding up here with the story. You know, but their expectation is that they walk in, they ask the church for help, and the church says, sure, here's some money. And so they just go, that, that's how they make a living. They just go from church to church to church and ask for money, and, and these places just, you know, give them money. Well, isn't there a principle here that the need has to be established? And, and to ask the question, well, what about your family? Can your family help you with that? Because that's the first responsibility of care is to the family. Can your family help you with that? Uh, who, else, who else is there that can help you with this? Because there's, there's a principle set here that if, if there is another source of help, then that, that should be uh, uh, utilized. And why is it that, that the Apostle Paul says here that... If this widow has family, and I think, again, you can broaden that out to, to uh, uh, the fatherless and to people that are uh, claiming to be in need of help. Uh, why does Paul say that if there's family there that can help them, let them help them? Instead of uh, uh, burdening the church with that. And that's his words, not mine. He says, let them not uh, uh, be a burden to the church. Well, I can only speculate but I think it's, it's reasonable speculation. When you look at what the church's resources are for, what biblical benevolence is, and what the work of the church is, because the church is supposed to use its resources to seek and save the lost. That's the number one responsibility of the church. If you look over to Ephesians chapter uh, 3 and, and verse 10, there in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 10, the Apostle Paul says that the church was the eternal purpose of God. That is, when, when we read about the scheme of redemption being in the mind of God before the foundation of the world, the church was the culmination of that scheme of redemption. The church was the, the ultimate uh, uh, goal of that uh, uh, scheme of redemption that was in the mind of God before the foundation of the world. And he says there, in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 10, to the intent that now, that is in the church age, now, that's for us, now, that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the, in the heavenly places. So God wants the church making known to the world His wisdom, His Word, His will. That's the work of the church. And He says, according to... Now how long was it in the mind of God that the church's primary function in the world would be to make His manifold wisdom known? 
It says, according to the eternal purpose which He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what did He accomplish in Christ Jesus our Lord? Because a lot of times people will say, well, the, the death of Christ on the cross was the eternal purpose of God. That's not what that says. That says that the death of Christ on the cross was to accomplish the eternal purpose of God. The eternal purpose of God was made possible by the death of Christ on the cross. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, it says, the church of God which He purchased with His own blood. So the purchase price of the church was the blood of Christ on the cross. He made possible the church by giving His life. And, and when we hear His Word and believe what it teaches about Christ and His kingdom, believing that, we repent of our sins and confess that we believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And making that confession with the mouth unto salvation, we're baptized into Christ to have our sins washed away. And we come up out of that watery grave of baptism, having been added to the church of Christ. Acts chapter 2 and verse 47. That is the eternal purpose of God. That the church would be the place of the saved and, and that, that group of saved people that is called the church, that household of God that is called the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. That that body, that organization, that house would be tasked with the function of making known the manifold wisdom of God. So we ask the question, what is the resources of the church for? It's for doing that. For making known the manifold wisdom of God. That's what the resources of the church are for. That's why God, in the organization of the church, as part of the worship service of the church, for us to show our love and devotion, our dedication to God, we give to Him to carry out His purposes, to carry out His will. And we have the first day of the week collection from the saints. To do what? To do what Ephesians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11 says. To make known the manifold wisdom of God. Now there's three avenues by which we do that. One is evangelism. That is, we, as you know, this morning in the announcements we talked about, we individually, as members of that household, get up out of these pews and go out there and teach people the will of God. Teach people the, the gospel of Christ. That's evangelism. That's one of the things that we refer to as the work of the church. And I'm not 100% I'm not sure that referring to these, these, these three things as the work of the church is really the right way to describe it. Because we just read there, there's a singular function of the church. That's the work of the church to make known the manifold wisdom of God to the world. Now there's three avenues, maybe it would be a better way to describe it, three avenues that we engage in to do that. The first one we've been talking about is evangelism. We go out and we tell people about Christ. We share the gospel of Christ with people. That's evangelism. The second one is edification. Well, edification is more in-house. We come together on the first day of the week to, to worship. As the, the Hebrews writer said, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, as is the manner of some. We come together to be edified together to strengthen each other 
in you know, doing that first thing that we talk about, evangelism. You know, because the world beats us down, the world works against us, the world tries to discourage us in, other, in, in every way, and that old saying, there's strength in numbers, that's a biblical truth. We come together to be stronger in numbers, to build each other up so that we can do the work of the church, which is to make known the manifold wisdom of God to the world. And so uh, an avenue of doing that is edification, building each other up to do that, strengthening each other, studying together in the Bible. That's what the Bible class is for, to strengthen each other so that we can go out and we can teach people about Christ. And so we've got evangelism, edification, and then the third one people say, you know, and the Bible says, I'm not saying people just say that, the Bible describes benevolence as uh, uh, an avenue of accomplishing the work of the church, which is to make known the manifold wisdom of God. Well, how is benevolence an avenue of making known the manifold wisdom of God to the world when somebody comes and they say, well, I need a tank of gas, and we just hand them $20 and say, okay, go fill up your tank. How does that make known the manifold wisdom of God? It doesn't. Bible benevolence is only Bible benevolence when it's connected with the teaching of God's Word. We should never, ever just, well, I say never, ever give anybody cash, period. But that's my, I mean, that's, I'm, I can't give book, chapter, and verse for not giving people cash. That's, that's me saying it's not a good idea. I don't think it's a good idea to give people cash because I don't know how they're going to use it. I don't know if they're going to use it for the way they said they need it or whatever. I don't think it's a good idea to give people cash. We don't give people cash. Uh, but how is it Bible benevolence if we just go pay the electric bill, go pay the rent, go with, without connecting that with, with Bible teaching? That should never be done except it be connected with now let's talk about what's really important. Yes, you know, having your lights on is important. But it's not nearly as important as having the light of the world, the, 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 the light of life, the light of the truth of God's Word. Let's talk about the Bible. It has to be connected with Bible teaching. It has to be connected with making known the manifold wisdom of God. And just handing out money doesn't do that. That's not the work of the church. That's not what the church is supposed to be doing. And so, isn't it right and good to ask some questions? If somebody drives through here, well, the first thing I do, and, and you know, I, I do it this way on purpose. I always, everywhere I've always been, I have always said, I don't want anything to do with any money. Do not put me with any money. I don't want it. And one of the reasons I do that is because me being the preacher, the first person people always come to for money is me. They always, every single time, come to me and ask me for money. And you know how I respond? Terrell's not here. I point over there too. You need to, you're talking to the wrong guy. I, you need to go talk to these guys. I don't have anything to do with the money. And so you know how I said this morning for, for uh, setting up Bible studies? You can sick me on them. Well, not if they want money. If they want money, sick the elders on them. Because <laughs> I don't have anything to do with any money. But when, when people come and, and, and ask me for money, I do ask questions. And if they talk about needing gas because they're passing through to go here, I do. I walk out and I look at their car and see where their tag is from. See if their story matches up. And, and you want to talk about somebody getting bent out of shape. You start asking questions about why they need the money. 
Like you don't have any right. Uh, I heard a phone call. I was just a uh, bystander listening to the phone call. And the person on the phone told the person, after doing some examination and, and coming to the conclusion that this was not a legitimate need, the person said, sorry, we can't help you. And I could hear the person on the other end of the phone say, yes, you can. I know you can. Well, no, I, told, I just told you, I, we, we can't help you. Yes, you can. There's that expectation. How dare you tell me no? Like, it's, like that, that's, the, that's the purpose of the church's existence, is to give them money. It's not. The purpose of the church's existence is to give them the gospel. And if they don't want the gospel, well, then we're not really helping them by giving them money. Now, if somebody comes, they have a legitimate need of food or clothing, and, you know, based on the personal discretion of the elders, whatever the need might be. If they come and they have a, legi a legitimate need, then meeting that need, for it to be Bible benevolence, has to be connected with Bible teaching. And I think that's a principle we see here. Do they have family? Well, then let the family take care of that. Do they, do they, do they have a way to, to, to meet this need without being a burden to the church? Well then, well, then let them do that. Because the church is tasked with the responsibility of getting the gospel out to the world. And we can't do that if, if the, 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 the coffers are run dry by just handing out money. One place I live, one of our members uh, worked for the local uh, housing authority. And he said, when he would go into, to do, he was a maintenance man, when he would go in to do repairs on apartments that had been moved out of and uh, they were getting fixed up to, to rent uh, out to the next person, uh, he said he would find lists in those apartments of the local churches. And they were ranked in order from easiest to hardest. You want some quick cash? Go to this one. You know, you get down the list. These, these ones might start asking you some questions. And he said, he said, when I got there, they were up at the top of the list. And he started noticing we started moving down the list. Because one of the first things I did when I got there is I said, whoa, no cash. Don't give anybody any cash. <laughs> That's not a good idea. And so there's, there's a principle here of investigation, of making sure it is a legitimate need. And then he goes on and he talks about the enrollable widow. Now, you know, you check commentaries and you read about this enrollable widow and people have trouble with this enrollable widow. There in, in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, it says there, Do not let a widow under 60 years old be taken into the number. And in some translations it says be enrolled. And the idea here is that... Uh, some, some say that it's, it's a, a payroll. You know, don't let her be taken onto the payroll, if you will. Uh, don't let her be put on support uh, if she's under 60 years old. Do not let a widow under 60 years old be taken into the number, and not unless, that is, even if she is over 60, and not unless she has been the wife of one man, well reported for good works, if she has brought up children, if she has lodged strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work. Now, you know, I, I have 
my opinion about who this enrollable widow is. Because you, you see the, the way that she's described and there's qualifications given there for who this woman is and, and whether or not she can be put on support. And those qualifications are very similar to the qualifications of an elder. And, and, and when we get down to the uh, last section of these uh, relationships in the church, we're going to see uh, Paul talk about our relationship with the elders. And so, might it be that this en enrollable widow who is described here as being a special servant to the church, in, in, in her description there, she's very clearly described as someone who has been a special servant to the church in some way. So, might it be that uh, this enrollable widow is the widowed wife of an elder or a deacon or a preacher who has uh, been sustained by the support of the church. You know, when we get down to the last section there, it talks about paid elders. That the first century church and churches now have uh, paid elders who are supported by the church. Well, what about their wives? After that man is deceased, does the church then just cut, off, cut, cut that woman off? Say, well, you know, <laughs> we're not, we, don't, we don't have any responsibility to keep taking care of her. Well, now this woman has lived all her life being supported by the church uh, 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 through her husband being a, an elder, a deacon, or a preacher that was supported by the church. Here she's lived all her life being supported by the church, and now her husband is dead, and so now the church has no responsibility to continue taking care of this woman? I, I, I don't believe that's the case. And, and my personal opinion, now I have to say that's my personal opinion because there is a wide variety of opinions on this enrollable widow. I believe that's who Paul's talking about there. Is the widowed wife of a man who had been a, if you will, you know, using uh, uh, current vernacular, uh, a full-time elder, if you will. That is, uh, an elder who, that was his uh, uh, function. The church supported him to be the full-time elder. And now that man is dead. Well, what's his wife supposed to do? Well, I believe Paul is saying here that the church has a responsibility to continue taking care of that woman. Now, why over 60? Because if you look at those qualifications, uh, if a woman comes and has a need, but she doesn't have any children, the church says, well, sorry, can't help you, you don't have any children. Well, no, that's not what that's talking about. This is talking about a woman who is put on some kind of ongoing support, who is supported. That's what that enrollable uh, is talking about. And you look at those qualifications. Well, the, the wife of an elder uh, would have been the, the wife of one man. Would have raised children. Right? You, you see those, those qualifications that Paul gives there for this woman would be the case if she was the wife of an elder. A full-time supported elder. That's, that's one of the reasons I believe that's who that's talking about. And so the church should continue to care for this woman. Look in uh, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 11. There in the, in the context of the qualifications of the elders and the deacons, it says likewise their wives. So the wives of elders and deacons. When I taught 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus in, in preaching school, I uh, uh, had them memorize the qualifications of the elders and the qualifications of the deacons. They had to be able to write those down from memory and define them. And if they did not write down as part of those qualifications for both of them that they have the right kind of wife, 
Well, then they got, they got ticked for that. That was, that was a, 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 a mark off. Because that's one of the qualifications. He says, likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. And so elders and deacons have to have the right kind of wife. If their wife isn't this kind of woman, then they're not qualified to be an elder or a deacon. That's what that says. And so I believe the enrollable widow is, is that woman there in 1 Timothy 3.11. That's who that is. Uh, now, would that be applied to the preacher's wife also? Uh, a man who has, who has spent his life serving the church under the support of the church, his family is, is supported by the church, and now that man is dead. His wife is at an advanced age. And so now she's just you know, thrown out? And, and not cared for? I don't believe that's what Paul is describing there. And, and remember, these are pure relations in the church. Would it be morally right <laughs> to, to take the wife of a man who had given his life in service to the church and cast her aside and say, oh, we have no responsibility to take care of you now? I don't think that would be morally right. I don't think the world would look at that and say that that's morally right. Now again, a lot of these things don't have the uh, 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 force of impact today in the American society that they would have had then uh, at that time or that they, they would have had or that they have now in other countries in the world. Because, you know, as far as me, if, if, if I'm standing here and I drop dead right now, uh, you know, I have Mary and Donna taken care of. The, the, they're not going to be a burden to the church. And I think that goes back to those widows with family. If there's another way to take care of them, do it that way. Don't let it be a burden to the church. And so, you know, in our American culture, we have ways to do that. But I think there's a principle there that a person who has given their life in service to the church, and you look through the Bible through and through, and the same principle is there all through the Bible. A servant of the church has the right to be supported by the church. And, and shouldn't that be extended to the wife and family of that lifelong servant of the church? Now, why over 60? Well, that's the next section. He talks about the younger widows. And, and, and the, the younger widow is not supposed to allow herself to become a burden to the church. She's still a, she's still a young lady. She can get married. She can, she can have a family. She, she can be a part of a family that can take care of her. She's not of such an advanced age that, that you know, she's just destitute and she has to be taken care of by the church. And you begin there in verse 11, it says, But refuse the younger widows, for when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ, they desire to marry, having condemnation, because they have cast off their first faith. And besides, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house. There's certainly the principle there of, of uh, uh, being workers. And, and what happens when we're not the kind of workers that God created us to be? He, he, he created Adam and put him in the garden to work. What happens when we're not the kind of workers we're supposed to be? Whether it's the man that, that is uh, the, the worker in providing for the family or it's the woman who is the worker, the manager at home, taking care of the household. Uh, whatever the work is, there's work to be done. And when we're not doing the work that we're supposed to be doing, well, we become idle. And, and, and idle hands are the devil's work and how the old saying. It's not in the Bible, but it's an accurate statement. <laughs> an old, uh, what do we call it, an old, old wives' tale or, or uh, uh, old saying. Uh, the idle hands are the devil's work. Uh, uh, the devil's playground, I think, is the way it goes. 
Well, it's not in the Bible, but it is Bible truth. That's what Paul says here. They learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies, saying things which they ought not. Therefore, I desire that the younger widows marry, bear children, manage the house, give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully. For some have already turned aside after Satan. If any believing man or woman has widows, let them relieve them and do not let the church be burdened that it may relieve those who are really widows. Now I would say that uh, I'll continue this next Sunday morning, but I just announced what we're starting next Sunday morning. So we'll continue this next Sunday evening. And we'll talk about the church's responsibility to the elders. So if you don't normally come in the evening... Shame on you. Be here next Sunday evening to, to hear the conclusion of this lesson. And, and certainly what we need to take away from Paul's discussion about caring for the widows is that the church has a responsibility to spread the gospel to the world. And, and uh, what, what greater work is there? What more important work is there that, that the church uh, uh, is, is tasked with with providing for those men who give themselves in service to that work, to spreading the gospel to the world, even to the degree of taking care of their families after that man is gone. It is the most important work the world has ever known. Are we doing that work? Are we working individually as members of the household to spread the gospel to the world? And if not, why not? It may be this morning that having heard the gospel of Christ, you know that you need to come and be baptized into Christ to have your sins washed away so that you can be a part of that household of God. Or if having done that, you know that you've not been working for the cause of Christ the way that you should. You need to repent. You need to be restored. Whatever your need is this morning, we pray that you'll come while we stand in sin. I will seek you deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore. Very deeply stand within, seeking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry. From the waters lifted me, now safe am I.
Master of the sea, billows His will obey. He, your Savior, wants to be be saved today. Love lifted me. Love lifted me. When nothing else could help, love lifted me. Love lifted me. Love lifted me. When nothing else could help, love lifted me. I thank Brother Norm for that message. Just bear in mind, Hawk, for 